the term indigenous artists, I kind of, I don't like that because I feel like we're not a subgenre. If I'm good enough to be with amongst everybody else, put me amongst everybody else. If I'm not, don't give me a box because otherwise I'm a settle for that. I want to know if I'm not good enough so I can work at it and work harder. Welcome to Behind the Bars by Red Bull, where we get to dissect the lyrics of some of the rappers that have come through and dropped 64 bars as part of the Red Bull series, of which I've been fortunate enough to executive produce and direct. My name is Macario D'Souza, aka Kid Mac, and we're going to hear some stories and creative processes of the rappers. This episode is with Tasman Keith, hailing all the way from Barrowville, New South Wales. Taz has been turning heads not only locally, but all over the world with his international and intellectual flows. And I'm really excited to hear his creative process. Tasman Keith, it's good to have you here. You know, having spent some time with you, I'm really intrigued by what your process is. You seem to be super intelligent and have your hands in, you know, every creative mm. aspect of your artistry. Yeah. So uh, for those that don't know, let's um, take it back, man. Where, where you're from, give us your backstory. Um, so I'm from a small town on the north coast called Barrowville which is a town of like 2,500 people. They say they say it's 2,500, probably like 500. Take away 2,000. Um, and I started started like being really interested in performing in music um, around eight. My father would put me on stages when he'd do festivals and then like talent quests, I would perform. Um, and then it was like from, it's like kind of three stages up till now where my music is kind of, you know, had different levels. So eight was when I first started gaining interest and wanted to perform. Um, 14 was when I moved back to Barrow from Sydney with my family and was just in the studio every day. And then like 17 was when I made the decision to go 100% in because I was also playing rugby league and making representative sides. So I kind of had to figure out whether I wanted to go, you know, 50% into two different outlets or 100% into one. And so I chose music. And that's basically, yeah, where, where it started. Let's talk about home for a sec. So for those who have no idea, let's paint the story of Barrowville, you know, mm. where it's located geographically and how it was growing up there. So it's um, it's basically in the middle of Brisbane and Sydney. Um, if you want to get like closer to it, it's Coffs Harbour and Nambucca Heads area, 10 minutes inland from Nambucca Heads. Um, and I mean, growing up there, I spent from when I was born to seven in Barrowville and then we moved to Sydney for dad's music. I spent from seven to 14 in Sydney and then we moved back to Barrow because mum and dad were having another kid and they wanted her to be raised up on Gumbangi lands. Um, and I've always said, like, if I didn't go back at 14, I probably wouldn't be rapping because I had a bunch of cousins there that can spit that made sure I was in the studio with them. Um, and so I think the impact it's kind of had on my creativity has been major and I don't think I'd be where I am today if I hadn't kind of returned to my roots. Even though at first I didn't want to go home, I, I love the city. I was like, you know, I was had gel in my hair. I was a pretty boy playing football. I never wanted to leave. And then I, when I got back, it took me like a month or two because I was meeting cousins I didn't know I had. Um, and then, yeah, just that, I think it's just that that kind of grounding sense and sense of community came to me when I was when I was back home. And it seems to be a big part of you now. I know last mm. time we had a chat, you're talking about, you know, the people around you, they need to be the type of people that are willing to go and spend time in Barrowville with you and be comfortable with that. Mm. It's sort of close to your heart, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, um, 
even when we shot the the Mission Famous documentary or we shot some other film clips in Barrowville, um, you know, it's it's also just bringing something to the community to show them, like, this isn't as far-fetched as you may think it is. Um, whether that's wanting to do music or wanting to do something, you know, completely different, I just wanted to kind of bring bring a sense of, I guess, more, like, more to the world, to Barrowville. And I always kind of bring try and bring a cousin to a show or a festival just to show them like you can you can do something that you want to do like you don't have to just stay in Barrowville and have no job because there's hardly any employment there um so yeah it's always important for me to bring people to Barrowville and I guess you know bring Barrowville to the people so a lot of people don't know but your dad was an MC right MC Wire let's talk Mm. about you know how that influenced you yeah like I'd I always say I'd I just thought it was a normal thing. Like I thought everybody's father rapped when I was growing up. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a major deal to me. Um, and he'd just always bring us along because when him and mum were split up, he'd have us every second weekend and like he'd have a show, but it's like he needs to watch the kids. So he just got us on stage and watched us kids on stage. So it was easy for him. Um, but yeah, he, he impacted it heaps and I never really um, noticed how much he had done in the scene until I started to, you know, get into it more. And I'd go around and people were like, oh, your father's wire and such and such. And I realised, like, the stuff he kind of did. Yeah, so It's obviously influenced your brother too, Capital J, being mm. on the beats and whatnot. Yeah. How did he kind of get into, you know, being in production and you on, on vocals? Well, like, he was always, I guess, more heavily involved in production stuff when we were younger. If Dad had run workshops and stuff, he'd take Sam along with him and, uh, and get him to help produce some stuff. And so it's only been recently that he's kind of switched... And being like, okay, I'm 100% in. Um, and he's just got the raw talent for it. And I think, you know, even when dad used to make beats, he'd get Sam to to do the drum patterns because that's like Sam's strength, capital J strength. Um, and so I think dad really just influenced him by both of us, by just showing us it can be done. No matter like how much money you got, there's always a way to, to make music. And that's what we've done. So from the outside looking in, everyone, you know, sees... Taz coming out of nowhere, but obviously you've been hustling for for a long time. Mm. Who are some of your biggest influences? Um, definitely like an Andre 3000, Outkast, uh, Prince, Kendrick, Cole. Um, but even like lately I've just kind of been toning it down on hip hop and checking some other music that I haven't really been tapped into, a lot of old stuff, um, just to kind of get some inspiration from that. But there's a bunch. Mum used to play Macy Gray in the house, Amy Winehouse. Um, so there's heaps, heaps of different music. And like the uncles that could play guitar and sing up the mission would also, you know, inspire what I do now. So yeah, there's a lot. So when I first came across you was Kicking Back at Home, MTV, and Billy Bad again came on. Mm. And then not only musically and sonically what was happening, but the visuals that yeah. matched it. I thought it just blew me away as far as like, you know, very thought out framing and, mm. you know, everyone sort of nodding their heads and it had this bop to it. Yeah. Um, let's talk through that release and the video itself. You, did you have your hands involved in pretty much all aspects? Um, yeah, in a way. Um, I always kind of, too, with the earlier uh, film clips, it was a lot of me helping direct it because a lot of it was about home. So I knew how I wanted that image to come across. Um, but with Billy Bad again, like, to be honest, that idea of the, the computer and the microphone hanging down, I was a bit like... Uh, um, but in Tropico, like kind of who do, who do my film clips, they they push me and, and you know, we, we roll with it. So on, on Billy Bad again, it was them that set up that stuff. Um, but it was my idea to do the cutaway shots, like the golf swing for certain lines because I've always seen film clips and like 
they do one shot that doesn't necessarily relate to the film clip, but it relates to that certain line. And I just, I've always loved that. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of both. And you've obviously crossed your styling and everything else. That, oh yeah, yeah, I styled the whole, I, yeah, I styled the whole thing, which is like, I wasn't, I wasn't going to, I was like, uh, I don't know if I have the energy or the time right now. And then they just said sleep on it. I slept on it and then literally just went to like Glebe markets, Paddy's markets, all the markets, like, and just picked out the, the clothing. I remember we, we had 12 of my cousins walk into Big W and buy all black clothes. <laughs> and so it looked so sus. <laughs> but yeah, the styling, I done the styling on that. You're just purely focusing on making good international music. Is that, would, would yeah. I be correct in saying that? Yeah, for sure. Because I never grew up on any Australian hip hop. Like we'd, I'd never related to it, neither did my cousins. Um, it was like, I remember one of the first rap songs I heard, or well, remember hearing, was um, going to get firewood with my uncles and it was like Easy e Automobile. And it's like the most rudest song. And I'm like eight, nine. Um, so just, just influences like that. It was always to me, you know, make the music sound good first and what you're saying, people will catch it later. So if I'm, if I'm speaking on something that, you know, a lot of white Australia doesn't agree with, um, too late, they already like the song. Like by the time they figure out what I'm talking about, they're like, ah, oh, what can you do? Um, but also it's just like the term indigenous, art, indigenous artists, I kind of, I don't like that because I feel like we're not a subgenre where mm -hmm. if I speak, I can only speak for myself, so I don't know how other artists take it. But um, if I'm good enough to be with amongst everybody else, put me amongst everybody else. If I'm not, don't give me a box because otherwise I'm a settle for that. I want to know if I'm not good enough so I can work at it and work harder. And so, yeah, just the international sound is something I've always, you know, looked forward to because if I'm not doing it for the biggest thing possible, then what am I doing it for? Yeah, I don't think you have a, any worries in that sense. Yeah, um, thanks for that. You've been, obviously, from, you know, re reviews and whatnot, even personally listening to it, there's a lot of comparisons, similarities to Kendrick Lamar and that sound. Mm. How does that sit with you? I loved it at first, like, to be honest, man, because I, like, I, I grew up on it, dude. Um, but now it's kind of like, I mean, everybody gets influences and I would, like, my first single, like, Might Snap Plobblies was heavily influenced by that. Um, and now I've kind of, like, I'm still, I, I'm still finding my own sound. Um, and I guess with each release, I'm getting close to what that is. If that is something, I don't know um, if I just keep experimenting with things. Um, but now it kind of sits like, it's cool, but it's like, I, you know, want people to see me as Tasman Keith, but also I put myself in that box by the first release being heavily influenced by the artists I love, which I think everybody does and everybody, you know, gains influences from certain people, but it's just taking what you need and making something new. And Evenings, the EP, there was mm. a lot of that sound in there too, but there seems to be this dark, eerie kind of musical sonic sound that you like to go for as well, like Nightmares yeah. on Ninth and whatnot as well. So is that a thing that you go for? You try to go that darker tone? I like, I think I write best to the darker stuff. Um, I think like, you know, when I was, as, as much as I was listening to, you know, a Kendrick or a Cole in high school, I was also listening to a lot of The Weeknd. Um, and so I think just that and a lot of Kanye, like a lot of his outros and, the stuff with darker tones is what I've always like loved sonically before any um, vocals on it, just the production. Um, so I guess, yeah, it is something that I tend to go towards. Let's talk about your creative process. So are you, you know, the type of rapper that you want to hear a beat first, get in the zone, mm. then write to that? Or do you sometimes just write bars and then look for the right beat to match it? Um, it switches up, but like mostly I like to hear the beat and then write to it. Sometimes I'll just get punchlines in my head whilst I'm walking and I'll jot it down or I'll 
put on a voice memo and then revisit it or not revisit it. I've probably got like 110 voice memos that I don't go back to. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mix. It's, it's a mix of both. Now you write a lot. I know we speak about this. You've got a shitload of demos going on. Yeah, I've been trying to write more though. I'm just, I'm like, I'm that dude though. It's like, I'm not working hard enough yet. Even though I'll probably run myself into the ground. I've got to just keep, just for, just for men, like keeping a sword sharp, you know, like I, I look up to artists and, and rappers that flows you've never heard before or lines you have to like break down and dissect. And when I'm, when I make that flow or make that line or punchline, it's like, it's a feeling I'm like, it's, it's the best feeling. Yeah. And you're now sometimes trying to get in the booth without writing or are you like... Yeah. We've done it like one of the one of the earlier Mission Famous songs, Death Into Life, which is the outro on the EP. Um, we we didn't write. We just kind of went in. Um, it's just, it's mainly because like sometimes when I write, I can feel myself judging it as I see it on paper. Um, and then when I tend to just like sit with the words for a minute, it gives me a bit more time to get it out before I have the chance to judge it. I feel like while it's in my mind, I'm not judging it so heavily. But once it's on paper, or I can see it visually, then I'm judging it as heavy as I can. Um, and so it's something I tap in and tap out of. It just depends. Again, it depends on the beat or like what zone I'm in. So you just dropped your 64 bars. Mm. You wrote it, what, a couple of days ago? Thursday. So that's, yeah, a couple, <laughs> that's three or four days. Yeah. Uh, who, was on the, who was on the beat for that one? Uh, paper Toy, he also produced the entirety of the evenings EP and move up and as has additional production on Billy Bad Again and Nightmares. So 64 bars is something that's taken off online. Obviously, you know, mm. the best of the best rappers in Australia, you know, flexing, showing what, what they're, you know, capable yeah. of bars wise. What's the brief to a producer when you sit down and you know that you're up next? Uh, what did I say? I just, I just texted him because like, I've worked with him for two years now. So he kind of knows what I'm looking for when I say a certain thing. I just said, give me something I can flex on. Um, that's like still pretty simple. Has a breakdown like in a lot of 808s. And then he he sent me like three or four. I was playing around with a couple of ideas and then the one that I ended up choosing ended up being the strongest, I thought, for this for this thing. Yeah. And it still had those dark eerie tones like you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to just single out a couple of lines here that I found intriguing for different reasons and love to get your take on them. They can't touch my Like they're weak and shit, but they're weak and shit. I mean, you're on a Saturday. It was just like, I've been listening to a lot of Wayne. Like I, I think Wayne's Wayne's definitely in my top five, Lil Wayne. Um, and just the punchlines that are so simple, but you'd never think of it is the stuff I love. And so I kind of just tapped into that and it was a flex. And like, you can't touch my shit when I'm having the worst day. Like you still can't, I reach for it. So like, in those lines, it's like a bit of a mix of different experiences. Um, the family's up in a border house line in particular. I remember like when we when we moved to Sydney, mum and dad was really broke. And so we lived in the space of seven years, we lived in like seven or eight suburbs. Um, so we moved around heaps. And there was a time when we had to live in, I'm not even sure what it's called, but it's like on top of a, on, on top of a shop, like the worst apartment ever. And like, I remember, it's, I'm laughing at it now, but it was sad as fuck when it happened. I remember opening, went, going to open the blinds and I opened the blinds and it was just like a brick wall and a board and rubbish. And I was like, fuck, no view. Like literally a boarded house, like it's bricked up or boarded. Um, and then the next line, which was, what was the next line? Sorry. 
So yeah, five into two bedroom, no no mm. whip leg room, and then the punchline got to sell and sort it out. Yeah, so like the five into two bedroom is like a lot of experiences with the families that really cram everybody into a crib up to mission, or or in the city. Uh, no whip leg room is like the family's too big, like we've got too many cousins to fit all in the car. Got to sell, got to sell wraps, got to sell you know drugs to sort it out to make more room or or you know give more leeway for us to move. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a tiny little bedroom, mm. big family. You look out the window, all you see is red bricks, just you know, <laughs> boxes on boxes. Yep. And I had this thing where friends of mine would go to the house, it'd be a big backyard, and I was always envious of space. Mm. Are you feeling like now that things are progressing for you? You know, you're working in nice studios, you're getting flown to different places to play shows. How does that feel for you, knowing where you came from? It feels good, but, like, still, it, I guess I'm not taking it in just yet because... I go back to Barrel and shit's still the same. Like, family's still living broke, like, you know. Um, so as much as this shit is cool, I'm not going to be like, okay, I've made it or this is good enough. It's like until I can help change my community in a positive way or even just put my mum in a crib, like, then I'll kind of, I guess, relax. But there's still a lot of work to do when you get to that point. Um, so, yeah, in a, in a term, it feels great. It feels like, you know, we're making steps, but at the same time, things back home are still the same. Six feet deep, if we pee, all black, take away, love, eat cheap. Eight in a cell, we ain't living well, rap talking these bars, I ain't never told they snitch. So, like, in the past two years, I think I've been to about, I can't even count how many funerals, probably like 12. Um, something that's like constantly, constantly happens at our community, having such a big family and being, you know, impacted by a generational trauma. Some uncles pass away young as like 50, 60. Um, some cousins take their life, um, some aunties pass away and we just always constantly seem to be burying people um and it gets to a point where kind of learn how to live with the pain and so that's why I always just kind of like there's always a lot of death references which is dark as in my music but it's because I guess that's my way of flipping inventing or facing um what I've been going through in terms of funerals then on the flip side of that you got eight in a cell we ain't living well mm. rap talk in these bars I ain't ever tell yeah so like locked up, cousins locked up, fa any family locked up. Um, and then, like, there just seems to be people telling so many stories on rap. I can't afford to tell half the stories yet because there's people still doing it. So, like, I can't, you know, I can't incriminate my family. Um, so I've got to wait. I've got to wait a bit until stuff settles down or they stop doing criminal activities to speak on it. So that's just about it. So on that, you know, with so much repeat of deaths and, you mm. know, being alive but being in a cell, mm. How does that, how do you change that mentality or how do you change that, that repetitiveness in the culture? Yeah, I, I, it's tough. I think I'm still trying to find the answer, if there is an answer, because I, I think the answer is different for every individual. Um, but as much as I can do just talking to my cousins or showing them, like, do what you really want to do, because I've got cousins that are the most talented football players, but they're caught up in the system. I've got cousins that can rap, like, better than 80% of the scene. I put money on it still, like, and they've been in and out of jail. Um, and so I think it's just them seeing somebody come out of barrel because my father done it, but I think in early 2000s there was a ceiling for artists of colour. Like, Australia wasn't ready to hear that voice. Um, and so now it's just making sure that voice is heard and the cousins can look up to it and see that things can change if we, you know, if we really put our mind to it. I think that's an exciting thing for Australian hip-hop or just hip-hop in general, mm. that it, it is finally moving to a place where uh, so many cultures and 
different races are being represented. Yeah. Now. Are you excited to be part of that movement? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's dope. Like I feel, I feel like I've got to be the best artist I can be because of the peers that are around me. Like I hear music sometimes, like oh, like that's crazy. But then I've got to step it up even more. And um, having you know other people of color in the scene making a dent, and it's, it's just inspiring to see that you know communities that come from nothing can can kind of make something out of themselves. Might put the PM on grave vacay. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait to hear this one. So might put the PM on grave vacay. Like he goes on vacation when she goes down. So like just put him in the grave. He can stay on vacation there. It's pretty, it's pretty horrific, but you know. Do it for the fam because, you know, we don't see any outcomes. Man, that's why like the whole government shit, like both sides are, you know, don't do shit for my community. I don't see any change in my community from either side. And so like I'm, I'm going to make the change if that means burying your prime minister um which is you know don't please don't come at me it's just a it's just a rap line um but then like the government blood side switch is like there's so much black blood on government hands like government blood on our hands now like side switch and then dual for the gram like is just like you know uh a social media reference because everything these days gets captured on a phone yeah Maintain the respect, my frame is in debt Cause I done been on negative since my uncle done left I done juggled the best, I done juggled the worst And this that diamond made from pressure that stays in the dirt Being on negative since my uncle left, it's like it's still, it's still a burden um, Cause it only happened, you know, late 2018 I've been through so much death, I've never kind of taken it like that But when I saw him six hours before and then he passed away It just like changed everything And I've had, you know, I've had dreams about the uncle and stuff only recently and so I think things are starting to come back up that I haven't necessarily dealt with yet from that um, and yeah that was just a line speaking on I guess the trauma and stuff I felt from that past three weeks and so to give it context is the great uncle that, that named mm. you right? yeah he named me Tasman um, Uncle Joby he named me Tasman and he named my brother Samuel as well so yeah when we when we released the Mission Famous EP he he was at the show and the next morning we're going to shoot the Mission Famous film clip and um, we're driving to the golf course to shoot it and I get pulled up by my cousin. He's like, yeah, Uncle Joby just passed away. And like I was such in work zone that I didn't fully process it. Like, and I think it was just kind of a shock because I seen like we seen him like six hours ago at the show. Um, and then I drove up the mission and I went, like I was talking to my cousin in the car because my brother was already on set. And I said, do I tell Sam before the shoot or after the shoot? And I agreed like before the shoot. So I went and told him. You know, he broke down, had a moment. I said to him, like, let's get this job done, do it for him, go home and deal with it. And so we've done that. And so, like, the whole the whole three weeks surrounding the Mission Famous release was dealing with that, burying him with, you know, my EP at his feet in his coffin. When we went to the viewing, they asked me to put it in there. And then we're carrying his coffin down because I was one of the bearers. Um, and they played the last song you heard from the Mission Famous EP, which is my Ploblies. And so we're literally putting my uncle in the grave to a song I wrote about your spirit living on forever even when we pass away, which is like crazy. And that's the last song you heard before he passed away. And so like I think since then I've been, I don't know if it's, it's not a chip on my shoulder, but it's like I need to make some shit out of this because like shit can change in an instant. Crazy. like. And we talked about, you know, you trying to navigate through this crazy industry mm. You know, and there was certain scenarios with 
the EP where it could have been mm. released by certain labels and whatnot, which would have stalled the release date. Yeah. You chose to go it yourself and it all fall, fell into place that that weekend was a release weekend. Mm. Your uncle got to hear it. It feels like there's a greater purpose for yeah. your music than purely just being a, you know, a financial kind of mm. chase. Yeah, for sure. Like when, when that happened, like I was saying, like I kind of realised if, so it's a day after the EP releases. So it's like, all right, if the EP doesn't do what I've wanted it to do for the past six months, it just done something that tops that and, you know, gave us, gave us a release night for all of us to share with our uncle and have that last moment with him. And then also, you know, I guess gave me that sense of this is a bigger reason. Cause I've always had that, but it was like, man, my uncle just passed away. We're burying him to a song that I wrote about people passing away. It's like, I, I believe that everything fell into place for us to have that last night with him and for that just to be as impactful as it was on me and the community. Mm. And this line, I'm assuming, you know, I've done juggle the best, done juggle the worst. Yeah. It's that diamond made from pressure that stays in the dirt. Like it seems like you just keep copping hits after mm. hits after hits and you just, yeah. your outlet is it's, your lyrics. It's that and it's also like realising like this is diamond made from pressure but also... I stay grounded, I stay in the dirt, like I stay, I go home as much as I can and just keep touching base there because I feel like, you know, the industry can run me down or burn me out if I don't keep that sense of community. No matter if it's six months apart, if it's a year apart or if it's like two weeks apart that I go home, I just know I've got to stay home and stay in the dirt. And like I said, I can be out here doing all this stuff, but if I don't go home and keep seeing that nothing's changed just yet, then I'll forever be ignorant to the fact that I need to work harder. From that legendary CRB, that cemetery, ECV, we get it buried. They gon' see me very rarely. So CRB um, is the mission road, but now it's called GRB because the name was, the name of the road stand, uh, stood for Cemetery Road Barrival. And so at the end of the mission, the cemetery's right there, which is a fucked up way to set up where, you know, us blackfellas live. Um, but CRB is something that all of us say now and we flipped it like that's, you know, that's, that's home. Um, so CRB, that's cemetery, just telling them what the phrase mean. ECV is East Coast Valley. That's like another slang that all my brothers use. Get it buried is just like, you know, burying shit. Um, they're going to see me very rarely because I, I'm pretty antisocial. Um, unless I need to go out and do shit, like I'll just, I'd rather stay in the crib and working on music. Um, so yeah. So you're naturally a self-isolator. <laughs> it's easy for me. <laughs> and then finally, this is just a bit of wordplay that I love and want to get you to give us a take. In the crib like I'm barely ready. Like I'm not going anywhere. I'm barely ready. <laughs> I'm in the house that much. I'm barely ready. Um, they yes man, they Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, the yes man film, which is dope. I love Jim Carrey. He's crazy. Um, Mariah Chick on my hip Carrey. He's just playing on that Carrey word. And then pack on my grip, get rich Carrey, like Carrey Packer and make some make some money. Just fitting as many Carries in there without saying the same Carrey. <laughs> it's unreal, man. You've killed the bars. Thanks, man. Um, and as for the future for for yourself as an artist and also mm. as a person, um, what's in store for you, man? Um, just really working on like, at the moment, I'm really working on fan base build. So I'm just going to, utilize releasing songs a lot more frequently um, just so people can kind of hear the growth rather than a single every four to five months and just hear what the industry wants to hear. I'd rather build a base, you know, that comes to the shows and that can really relate to the deeper cuts. Um, it's that and also just still continuing to put out radio songs and working on an, e working on an EP probably this year to, to be out and then, you know, eventually it's album. But I'm just waiting for 
for everything to fall in place for that to be made. Because I know with hip hop, your debut album has to be crazy for it to do something. Um, so yeah, just working on all that. And personally for you? Uh, personally for me, yoga. <laughs> I've been tapping into yoga. Yoga and reading books. <laughs> and just like working on stage presence and stuff. But like things that, things that tap into finding my spirituality. Because um, I went home once and my auntie was like, you're doing really well. But one thing I can tell that hasn't happened to you yet is the old people, you know, your ancestors hasn't come and tapped you on the shoulder and been like, this is what it is. And I was like, 100%, I feel that. So kind of just amongst all this music industry build, finding the time to connect with my culture um, and letting, finding the time to let it come to me when, it, when, when that sense wants to come to me, I guess. Nice, man. Looking forward to the rise. Tasman Keith, it's been a pleasure, brother. Thanks Thank for you, coming okay. in. Appreciate it. Cheers, and wish you all the best, man. Thank you. CLB. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Bars. Make sure you review, share, and subscribe. And check out all the episodes of 64 Bars on the Red Bull Music YouTube channel.